Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. This is where we are. We were 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, but we went through that. And so if you want to, just go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we will finish this part, and then we'll raise some questions about, we'll look at the end times overview. We'll look at the terms, which is the very last page of your handout, but don't look at that right now. And, and we'll just see where we are. So let me remind you of something. We know that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. Now, what a lot of people don't even understand is that. And they don't understand the grace message that Jesus died and rose again, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. We have that message. We have the privilege of taking that message to the community. But we are in what is called the church, the body of Christ, Jews and Gentiles who have trusted in Christ together. We're seeing this in the book of Acts. The next event is the return of Jesus Christ in the clouds. He could come at any second. And so for us, we've been raising in these last couple of lessons, what should we be doing as we're awaiting the return of Jesus Christ? And we saw all kind of things. We talk about, talk about opening our home and praying and loving one another and, and, and serving and using our spiritual gifts and all those different things. And then we summed it all up in First Thessalonians. And if you want to look at First Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verses 9, 10, and 11. And sometimes we talked about it in the context last week of verses 9 and 10. I just want to remind you of what we saw. He says this. Uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you read that verse by itself without looking at the context of the book or knowing anything, you might think Paul is saying God doesn't want us to go to hell, but he wants us to be saved through Jesus Christ. In the flow of the passage, he's not saying that. He's saying God has not destined, destined us for wrath. What is the wrath that he's talking about? The tribulation. So he's saying God's not destined us to go through the tribulation, but, up to, but obtaining salvation. And he's talking about a physical deliverance salvation from the tribulation. And then he says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it going to be through our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, how? The rapture. Because the Christ, Jesus, is going to come in the clouds, and he's going to, you, you can uh, take that slide off right now. If you want to just put the end time, we're going to get to that in just a second. But uh, if, you, if you realize that he's going to come any second, and it's the deliverance is through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and he's going to take us off this earth. Now, then verse 10, we saw, who died for us, talking about Jesus died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we'd live together with him. We also said that that passage, people look at it and says, whether you're dead or alive, we're going to be with him. But in the flow of the passage, he's really talking about being uh, alert or not being alert. That tells you this. We're supposed to be looking for what? What are we supposed to be looking for? For Jesus coming in the clouds, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. What if you're not looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of your Savior? What if you've not even thought about this, you're not living for Christ, you're just doing your own thing? What happens to you when he comes? Hmm? You, you're going to be gone. So he says, whether you are awake or asleep, whether we're looking for him or not looking for him, that's the flow of the passage. We will live together with him. Then that takes us to verse 11, and that's the slide that she put up. And uh, I'm sorry, go back to, there we go. Therefore, summary, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. What does he tell us to be doing? 
Put it just simply put, as we're waiting for the Lord to come, what do we do? Encourage one another and build up one another. Now, I want to say this. We know Jesus could come at any second. But we also know that if, he, if he's not coming yet, we still have a responsibility on this earth while we wait. What is our responsibility? Okay, to, to actually it's to make disciples, which is evangelism and training. So we want to lead people to Christ and train them and equip them. So while we await, we're supposed to do that. But what does he say for us to do? He says, here's what I want you to do. Encourage one another and build up one another. In a fallen world, who gets built up? We get built up? When we go out into a fallen world, does the fallen world encourage us? No, in fact, just the opposite, doesn't it? Doesn't the fallen world say, whatever you believe is not very accurate. We don't believe what you believe. So when we go into the fallen world, we're not going to be encouraged, right? So where do we get encouragement? From each other. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. So bottom line, that's what we do. Now, the next slide shows us some things. It says, Second Peter 3.18 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You've heard me say this over and over again. This is a powerful truth. You're to grow in grace and knowledge. If you only grow in grace, that's license. You do anything you want. If you only grow in knowledge, that's legalism laws, rules. You have to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what we're to do. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 says, take what you've been taught and do what with it? Pass it on to other people. This is what we're supposed to do. That's what making disciples is all about. We take what we've been taught and pass it on. There are many of you. We're going to see it this morning in the service when we look at Acts chapter 9, but we're going to look at this idea that right after Paul became a believer, he began to serve. He began to go and proclaim Christ. He began to go into the synagogues and announce that Jesus was the Son of God and that he was the Christ. Many times when people trust Christ, we say things like, you're not ready to do anything. And there are many of, of us who say things like, I just don't think I'm ready to share my faith or I don't think I'm ready to teach a Bible study. I don't think I'm ready. And we've been Christians for 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. What do you mean we're not ready? A brand new Christian can tell somebody else how to what? How to, how to have eternal life. We should be ready immediately. So we are to be taking what we know. And if the only thing we know, which is the greatest, is the message of salvation, we should at least be telling other people the way of salvation. And then Hebrews 10.25 says, assemble together and encourage one another. Uh, Gene and I talked about this the other day, and it's, it's true. Sometimes we talk about using your spiritual gifts, and we say, where are you serving? What are you doing? You have to understand this. When you come... That is a great encouragement. He says, Seek not the sake of the assembly of ourselves as a man or a son, but encourage one another. You may think, Oh, all I'm going to do is go to church. When you come, first of all, you, it really encourages me. I mean, when the more that come in these doors, the more excited I get. I mean, it's true because it's an opportunity for more people to hear the truth, more people to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and spread out. So if you said, well, about the only thing I can do right now is just go to church, first of all, that's a huge encouragement to anyone helping serve on Sunday mornings. 
And there are a lot of people who get here really early and they get all this set up and these all fixed up, things back over there, things back over there, rooms ready. All of these people, when you come in the door and if you said, well, I'm not really using my gift this morning, I'm going to use it at a different time, you realize just by walking in these doors, you're a great encouragement to all of us. So if you ever say, "Mm, I don't think it matters whether I go or not, it does matter. We need you. We need your encouragement. So he says, therefore, encourage one another, build up one another just as you're doing. So grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Take what you've been taught, pass that on to others, and then encourage one another to, to love and good works. The ultimate, uh, the ultimate goal is to be what? What is it? I've got it in your thing. The ultimate goal is to be what? Be, be, well, be faithful. The ultimate goal is to be faithful. And, of course, being faithful means doing those things. Now, I want to stop for a second, and we've got some time. Uh, let's think about the end times. I think we've got, we want to get an overview of the end time events. Now, I'm going to just touch on them again, and then whatever questions, comments, input that you want to have, let's stop and do it. And so, if I, for some reason, if I don't see your hand, stand up. Or say, there's a hand back here. If some of you see a hand and I go, oh, there's no hands, say, yeah, there's one right there, okay? So don't let me miss a hand. Let's think about the end times again. Now, if you, let me just say this. If you know this and understand this, you've got a better understanding than probably 90 to 95% of the people in the world because first of all, most, most denominations, most churches, most organizations do not teach a literal interpretation of the scripture. So therefore, most of them believe that Jesus died and rose again. We're in the church age. The next event is the second coming and everything is over with. Most people do not even believe there's a tribulation, an antichrist, a kingdom, or anything like that. In fact, most do not even teach there's a judgment seat of Christ. So I want you to understand that if you can say, okay, here's the Bible, here's what happened here, 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 and if you have an understanding of the Scripture on how it fits together, and that doesn't mean you have to know every verse, it just means you have the big flow, you can put the Bible together better than almost all the people in the world. There are people, you can go to people in, in this town and you can go to somebody and say, what do you think about the end times? And they will say to you, uh, well, you can't, you can't know it. And I mean, the next event's Jesus coming back and, and that's the end of everything. In fact, there are a lot of people who teach. Jesus comes back. There's a big judgment. And, and some believe, uh, in fact, a lot of people believe if you did good, you go to heaven because this is the big judgment. And, and your works are judged and you get to go to heaven or you go to hell. That, and that's it. So Jesus is gone, he's coming back, and it's over. Now we say that there's so much more than that, especially when you look in the scripture. So let me just take you through it one more time, briefly, and then we'll just raise any question or comment that we might have. We know that the Old Testament talked about a coming Messiah, beginning with Genesis 3.15, the seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent. Going to Genesis chapter 12, the seed of Abraham would bless the whole world. That's the Messiah. Going in Daniel chapter, I'm going to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17, a promise was to King David that his son would sit on the throne of Israel forever. So the Old Testament is looking forward to this king, this Messiah, this Savior, the one who's going to come. And, and so every, technically people are looking for him. And then, 
At a point in time in history, Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son born of a woman. At exactly the right time, Jesus came. Now, there was a person who was born six months before Jesus. His name was John. His his daddy was a priest. He was related to Jesus' family, to, to Mary. And this little boy, he was born, and he was six months old when Jesus was born. And some years later, about 30 years later, this boy is in the wilderness shouting, make way for the Lord. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The Lord's coming. Let the roads be smoothed out. That's what they did for kings. Let everything be straight. The king is coming. The Messiah is coming. People would go out and they'd say, who are you? Are you the Christ? No. Are you the Messiah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Who are you? He said, I'm just the voice of crying in the wilderness. Make the way ready for the Lord. And then comes Jesus. And Jesus came and he started this ministry basically at the baptism when John the Baptist baptized Jesus that began his ministry. And three, three and a half years he proclaimed that he was the Messiah. We saw it in the Gospel of John. We saw his miracles. We saw everything. And then as part of the plan, the rejection by the nation of Israel and Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for us. The first time Jesus Christ came, he came to do what? To do what? To, to die and to be the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. He came to die the first time. So there he is. He came. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. Rose again. Walked on the earth for 40 days. And ascended into heaven. We saw in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came down. Which was the promise that Jesus told him. He said stay in Jerusalem until the, till the promise comes. When the promise came. The Holy Spirit came down. Put people in the body of Christ. Which we call the What? the church and here we are and this is where we're going now there's no timetable Old Testament talked about timetable for the Jewish people and all those kind of things but there's no timetable for the church the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles in one body we're all together and we're this is us and this is us right now so whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior you're in the body of Christ and we have a purpose and a plan on this earth it is to what make what make disciples that's why we're here We don't know when, but it could be any what? Any second, Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds. And the the, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up, taken off the face of the earth. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, what we saw last time, and we're gone. And when we're gone, the the world is going to be a catastrophe because everyone who has trusted in Christ all throughout the whole world will be taken off the face of the earth. There'll be... Oh, destruction. There'll be, there'll be such chaos. And meanwhile, let's just let's go. While all this is happening on the earth, we're standing at, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Romans chapter 14. And we stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the things we've done in the body, whether good or worthless. This has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is simply by faith. We're going to be rewarded. Because one of these days, we're going to go back and have a kingdom which was promised to who? Who got the promise that a son would sit on the throne? David did. That's got to be fulfilled. God said to David, your son will sit on the throne of Israel forever. Has Jesus Christ sit on the throne of Israel forever? Never happened. 
So either God told David something that's not true or it hadn't happened yet and it's going to happen. So meanwhile, we're getting rewards. What's happening down here? Well, the nation of Israel, everything's in an uproar, and a man comes to power. There's a ten-king federation. It goes to three kings. It goes to one king. This one king begins to rule the world. We call him the Antichrist. He's called the man of sin. He's called the beast that rises out of the sea. And he makes a peace pact with Israel. For how long? Seven years. Why is it seven years? Okay, that's all this left. God promised the nation of Israel how many years? Way back, uh, he promised in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, how many years did he promise Israel? 400 and 490. At the death of Jesus Christ, they used up how many? 483. Everything stopped right there. The church is going. After we're gone, he comes back and he says, Israel still has how many years? Seven. So the Antichrist, he, of course, he doesn't know this, but, but actually he's controlled by the devil, and the devil has read the Bible. But anyway, he comes back, and he makes a peace pact with Israel for seven years. We call it the tribulation. At the start of this peace pact, 144,000 Jewish people begin to share their faith. They begin to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. And before you know it, the nation of Israel is beginning to believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. About halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist goes into the temple that's been rebuilt in Jerusalem, puts an idol up there, and demands that he be worshipped as God. And the last part of this is called the Great Tribulation, and there's wars and destruction. People are running for their life. There's the mark of the beast, 666. There's all these things. And Jewish people are trusting in Jesus Christ. Other people are trusting in Christ. Many people are killed for their faith. It says in the book of Revelation that there were thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people and John says to an angel who are all these thousands of people who are worshiping Jesus he said these were all people who were killed during the great tribulation so there'll be all kind of people killed there'll be many many people trusting Christ I've had people say things like well once the church is gone that's the last hope for anybody no there were going to be thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people trust in Christ during the tribulation. Well, at the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ comes the second time. First time he came to what? Die. Second time he comes to what? To reign. He's coming as the king, and we already know that the uh, beast and false prophet are thrown in the lake of fire. Satan is bound for a thousand years. There's a kingdom on this earth. And Jesus Christ sets up that kingdom, and there are people who have served him faithfully, who he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Take this which is prepared for you. He is going to have places of responsibility for you to serve during the millennial kingdom. For those who did not serve Jesus Christ in the church age and us, we will not have, those people will not have particular places of, 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 of what we might call special places of service. The book of Hebrews says that there are believers that are called metakoi, which means partners with Christ. It seems to me from the scripture, the best that I can tell, believers who have been faithful to serve Jesus Christ, using their gifts and talents, when he says, well done, those are the metakoi. And the metakoi will have special places to serve during the kingdom and the eternal state. Everybody who has trusted in Jesus Christ will going to be in the kingdom. 
but there, there are, there, everybody's not the same, and we need to get people to understand that, because a lot of people are taught that it doesn't matter, as long as you're going to heaven, as they say, as long as you believe in Jesus, it doesn't really matter what you do or how you live, because when we all get to heaven, we all get to heaven. The truth is, when we get with Jesus Christ, there'll be some who will have certain rewards and places of responsibility, and there'll be some who will not. Now, I want to say one thing, and I don't want to go into detail. You find that there are passages where it'll say weeping and gnashing of teeth and into outer darkness. Most of those passages are not talking about people going to hell. They're talking about people who were left out of certain fellowship opportunities with the Messiah. Read them carefully. Okay? So whenever you see a passage that says weeping and gnashing of teeth and even outer darkness, you cannot assume that means hell or lake of fire. It does not. Almost every time it means not in a particular place of fellowship with Jesus. Okay? So this, that's just for sort of to know. Okay, anyway, so we're in the kingdom, and we rule for a thousand years. Everything is great, and at the end of the kingdom, Satan is released from his big old hole, and there's a rebellion, and there are people who, be, who, who, who were born during the millennial kingdom who reject Jesus Christ. There's a final battle called the second battle of Gog and Magog, and Jesus Christ destroys the, the unbelievers, and Satan is cast into the lake of fire and then there's a great white throne judgment and the best that we can tell is at the great white throne judgment the unbelievers for sure stand before there and if their names are not found written in the book of life and if they're unbeliever their name is not found written in the book of life they're cast in the lake of fire it could be now let me just throw this out it could be people who are born during the thousand years and who serve Jesus Christ this could be for believers where they get rewards and their name is found in the book of life we don't know it's not very clear most people have taught that it's only unbelievers there is a possibility there could be some believers at the great white throne judgment then we go into the eternal state revelation chapters tw basically 20 and 21 a new heavens and a new earth what's the new city called the new jerusalem it has how many gates 12 what's the gates made of a, a giant pearl. It has how many foundations? Twelve. And it has how many? Uh, yeah, that, the, that name for the apostles. And what are the streets made out of? And you can see through, through it. And who rules there? Jesus. And there is no sun. Why? Because he's the light of the world. He's the light of everything. It's a new heavens and a new earth, a new world, new everything. Now, that's the flow of the end times. Okay, let's open it up. Do you have any questions? Do you think we still have 10 minutes? Okay, Gene. Okay, yeah, let me, let me make that clear, yes. When Jesus Christ comes back, we call this the Battle of Armageddon. It's actually a campaign because the battle is over an extended time period in the last three and a half years. Enemies from the east rise up. 200 million soldiers come from the east. Nations come to attack Israel. They're actually coming to fight against Jesus because who does Israel now believe in? They believe in Christ. Listen, here's the most important thing. During this tribulation, the Jewish people, as a people group, for the first time are going to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Messiah. And if you've ever read Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? 
Say, that's not talking about eternal life salvation. That's talking about a physical deliverance. And in that chapter of Romans 9, 10, and 11, he's dealing with Israel. There's going to come a time that Israel believes in Jesus, and then they call upon the name of the Lord when they're surrounded by their enemies. That is at the very end of the tribulation, and Jesus Christ comes at what we call the Battle of Armageddon and destroys the enemies surrounding Jerusalem. And we get Armageddon from Har-Megeto. That's Hebrew. Har means mountain. Megeto is a plain, is an area with a mountain in it right in the northern part of Israel. And that battle is going to take place on a big, large plain by a mountain. The mountain is called Megiddo. Mount Megiddo. So Har-Megiddo, Armageddon. That's flows together. And that's where we came up with the battle of Armageddon because it's the battle of Har-Megiddo. And that happens right there. There is a second battle of Gog and Magog. It's not the same way. This is when Jesus is coming out of the clouds. Jesus is already on the earth there. Okay. What else? Question, comment, input. There's a hand. Where? Oh, over there. Oh, sorry. Okay. Hmm? Which, okay, which part, right? Okay, at the end of Armageddon. Okay. The enemies of the unbelievers... There's a passage in Matthew 24, 25 where he separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep of the believers at the end of this battle, believers who are alive go into the kingdom. The unbelievers are called the goats. They are killed. Their bodies go in the ground and they go into a place called Sheol in the Old Testament, Hades in the New Testament. It's like a holding place until the great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment after the thousand years in Revelation chapter 20 it says after the thousand years they will be raised up to stand before the great white throne judgment. That help? Is that good? That's fine. Okay. What else? What else? What other questions, comments, input? Yes, Doug. Well, I have to get back here. Okay. Okay. Say it again. Okay, okay. The places where you'll see weeping and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness, there are several places that that's mentioned, and it could be two or three different events. One believe this. What one that we believe is, if you remember, when he comes, and right here and sets up a kingdom, there is a thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb, and there are there's some parables where some people go in but they're not exactly right and they don't get to go in. Or you remember the parable of the, the virgins who went and didn't get ready and then when they came the door was closed and they couldn't come in? That's not talking about salvation. Th these passages are talking about people who miss out on a particular fellowship. Why did they miss out on a particular fellowship with Jesus? Because they didn't serve him. I mean, we act like you can become a Christian and live any way you want to, and there are no consequences. Now, the truth is this. You can trust in Jesus and have eternal life and live forever with Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. But there are consequences to how we live. If we live righteously and godly and serve him and use our gifts, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, they'll be, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. What, what, what about the parable? of the guy that got, you know, the five and the three and the one or the ten and the five, and one guy went and hid it and didn't use anything? What did he say to him? He actually uses words like, you're going to be cut up into pieces. 
okay? He's using this analogy to say, you've missed out. You didn't use what I gave you. These are believers. They belong to him. So does that help a little bit? Now listen, so here's the best thing to do. When you find those passages, look at it in the flow of the context and see how you think it fits together. Historically, a lot of people, every time you see weeping of gnashing of teeth in outer darkness, what do you immediately think of? You think of, of the lake of fire, but it's not always. In fact, most of the time it's not. Okay, does that help any? Okay, does I see any other hands? Yes. You said uh, that the Antichrist uh, is not going to know what's going on because he's going to be possessed as well. No, I think he, he will know some things. Yeah, okay. Well, okay. If, if he knows, he's going to be smart. So will he not realize that you know, things are happening like they're supposed to, so why am I really going to be doing this? Or what about the people aligned with him? They're going to be saying... Well, this is what it says in the Bible, mm -hmm. so we, we might not want to be with you. Okay, that's a great question, because what about this Antichrist person? The truth is, he's going to be a human being, and he's going to be demon-possessed. And not just demon-possessed, he's going to be possessed by the devil. So when we say, okay, uh, if he knows all of this, um, why would he do any of it? Well, uh, he's got the opportunity as a person to rule the world and to be worshipped. And he's an unbelieving person who is controlled by the devil. I think that's what he wants to do. And let me ask you this. Does the devil, do you think he's read the scripture? Okay, do you think he knows the end? Why didn't he just say, uh, you know, since trying? Huh? Pride, yeah. And, and what is he like? I mean, he is, why does he even affect you if you are already a Christian and you have eternal life and you're going to be with Jesus forever? Why does he even bother you now? He does not want you to serve. See, for the unbeliever, Satan's plan is to keep them from believing no matter what we do. He says, listen, I want them to go to church and everything as long as they think going to church and being good gets them to heaven. I don't care whether every human being goes to church. That's what Satan would say as long as they don't what? Believe, believe in Jesus. Now, once we believe in Jesus, it's too late for our destiny. But then what does he say? I don't want them to what? To serve. So what? you remember the parable of the soul? And it talked about they received the word, but some of them, uh, they didn't really have a root. They didn't get grounded, and so they fell away. And then there were some, the deceitful riches of the world choked them out, and, and trials and problems choked. See, what he wants is for you to allow the world, the flesh, the devil, everything to stop you from making an impact for Christ. Now, let me say this. I, I make this quote based on, he, on Romans 12, 1 and 2. I say this, if you are not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to the world. Let me tell you, you have to make a conscious effort that I'm going to know the Bible, I'm going to live by the Bible, I'm going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, I'm going I'm to know how to share my faith, I'm going to understand the Scripture, I'm going to live righteously and godly, I'm going to walk worthy of my calling, I'm going to make the most of the time because the days are evil, I'm going to do all this. If you're not consciously doing that unconsciously you're going to be conformed to this world and there are a whole bunch of Christians that don't even know they're in a battle 
They don't even know. They just think life is getting up in the morning and doing your thing and trying to have a good job and trying to get money and try to enjoy life and have your pleasures and go to bed and do the same thing the next day. Their mind never really even hits on the fact that they should be living for Christ. And that's unconsciously being conformed to the things of this world. I gotta have this, I gotta have this, I gotta have this, because this is what pulls me, because the world attracts our flesh. And so there's a whole bunch of Christians. So the devil's plan, and even the Antichrist, no, we don't know exactly what he will know, but even if he knew everything, he's not gonna turn down the chance to rule the world. Well, the devil took this situation with Job. Mm-hmm. I mean, he thought there he could let me have him. I, I bet I could make him do what I want him to do. <laughs> exactly. And, but Job... It, right. See, so Satan said, here's Job. If God, if you'll just let me mess with him, he won't love you. And Job said, the Lord giveth, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His wife came to him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? And he said, honey... I don't know if he said honey, but he said... <laughs> He said, should we accept only good things from the Lord and not the bad? So Satan is arrogant and prideful, and he is the most evil being you could ever imagine. The most evil being. Okay, let me, oh, good gracious. Let, look at the terms. We've got to do this real quick. Your time is up. So I just want you to look on the back, look at the terms, and I didn't realize time was going to go that fast, but we really need to finish today. If you look on the back, we, and the terms are just on this page, the, the first coming of Christ, that's Jesus being born, the rapture is us take, being taken out, the tribulations that time period, there's some views, like pre-trib means that the church will be taken out before the tribulation, mid-trib, in the middle of it, post-trib, afterwards. If you remember those things we talked about, then there's the millennium, which is the thousand-year reign. Pre-millennium means Jesus comes before the kingdom. There's a post-millennial, amillennial. There, let me just say this. Most of the world is amillennial, which is the next to the last one on the page, which says there will be no millennium uh, uh, of anything like that, and there won't be uh, an earthly rule of Christ, any of that. The second coming of Christ is when he comes. So those are the, the, the things. Now let me, let, me, let me finish with this. What do we got? Okay, we need to comfort what we want to do. Why study this? Comfort and teach. We want to comfort each other so we know where we are. We know Jesus is coming anytime and we'll be gone with him. We need to teach others. Titus 2.13 says, looking for the blessed hope. Let me give you the, the applications. I think, are they already, they're not written out, are they? Okay, they're, you don't have to write all this out, but the bi- I, bi- bottom line is, be comforted as you know and understand the end time events. So just write down the idea, be, be comforted, okay? because you need to know and understand the end time events. The second one is teach, teach other people these truths. Do you think, let me ask you something, do you think that you know enough to be able to share these? Not, that doesn't mean you know every verse and everything, but you know enough to say rapture's coming and the tribulation and the antichrist and the second coming and the kingdom and the, you, you should know that, be able to teach others the truth. The third one, I think, is to understand the flow and the terms connected. And that's why I've given you the handout. Do the best you can looking at that. If you have questions about what is those, what are those terms, how do they fit, just call me. We've gone over them. We spent a number of lessons on them, but I just want to make sure you got it. Everybody got the first three? Not yet? Okay, so be comforted as you know and understand. Second, teach people the truth, teach others. Third, understand the flow, understand the terms. 
And here's the last one. Encourage and build up one another, which we already know. That's what we taught today. Now, we, we've spent a lot of weeks on this. So do you want to start next week with a, with a, where we put the chart up and then I just randomly pick someone to come up and go through the chart? Would you like that? Yeah, yeah. you could do it. I guarantee you, you could do it. 